uh, we greeted each other. And uh, so uh, if you look at all the, almost all the epistles, uh, the author of the epistles almost always says, greet one another, greet this person, greet this person, or they close with blessings and saying, you know, oh, to this person, say this, and to that person, say this. So what we're going to do, last, last week it took way too long, but this week we're going to greet each other again. If you feel comfortable doing the H1N1 holy kiss, if it's a chest bump or, you know, whatever it is, you know, uh, greet each other, love on each other, but we're going to do that for just about two or three minutes. If there's somebody around you that you've never met, make sure that you connect with them, introduce yourself. If uh, you've been here and you have not seen a friend, an MDC family, God, you don't have to leave. Catch Todd before he leaves. Hug on him. Love on him. Uh, but let's greet each other for a couple minutes in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up. Greet each other. All right. Well, good. I love it. I love the bus. It's like a family reunion with all the dysfunction and all the fun all in one. I love it. It's great. Well, hey, before we open God's Word, let's pray and ask for His moving in all of our lives. Let's pray. God, I thank You that Scripture says that Your words are a light to our feet, that they're a light to our path, where it reveals uh, in the darkness of our lives, the darkness of this world, Your truth, the reality how things are meant to be. Lord, I ask that Your Spirit moves deeply in our lives today. Lord, that those of us who are tired or frustrated or have put up walls already, Lord, that You move tenderly in our lives. Lord, move in our ears and our eyes, our hearts, so that we can hear and see You and experience You in fresh and new ways this morning. God, I ask for wisdom this morning as, as I shared the good news of Your Son. Lord, give me Your words. Lord, and I pray that transformation happens. Lord, that we're not people where we receive more information that just puffs us up. But Lord, that our hearts, our lives, our marriages, our world, our workplaces are transformed by the power of the Gospel. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, um, if you know anything about me, you know that I uh, taught uh, for 10 years before becoming a pastor. 
And teaching for me was one of those, uh, those buzz moments in my lives because uh, there's something about kids. There's something about kids that they, if, if you've got that relationship with them, if you've got that one-on-one connection, you, you're, you're one of those teachers, amazing things happen. And I, I'd like to pat myself on the back, and I think I was one of those teachers, um, where we just had, ama- I, I loved, there was not one of those ten years that I said, I hated those kids. That was just terrible, even though I had rough classes. The thing that I love about kids and the thing that they love is stories. If you can tell them a story, they're in. There's that connection. And, uh, and I'm finding that even with my own daughter. You tell her a story, or you tell Bubba a story, Isaac a story, they're locked in. Every night, you know, uh, I'll lay in bed or Laura will lay in bed. But when it's my turn to lay in bed with Bubba, it's, uh, Daddy, tell me a story. So we always do. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Bubba. I said, yeah. And so he, he's pulled into the story. We'll tell him stories of dragons. We'll tell him stories of castles. We'll tell him stories of how he's conquering and you know, all this kind of stuff. And he just loves the story. Now, Grace, it scares her. Because Dad always tells kind of stories of dragons and conquering. And for her, she'd rather have the princess story. And so what we have found as a family, and I've talked about this before, and if you've been in the gospel class, you've heard me read this before, is the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so if you don't mind me uh, doing something this morning, and you'll see how it connects. Um, just in the past two weeks, as I've, I've been preparing for, for today, um, Today, we are going to be reading Christ's last moments on the cross. And if you have ever been part of a liturgical church, um, you know that if there is a cross up in front, this would be Good Friday, and the cross is often shrouded in a black cloth. It's, it's, just, it's a dark time for the church remembering Christ's death. But as I'm doing my studying I, I, I was definitely there going, oh man, what do I do with this? But there was this uh, juxtaposing moment that as I'm reading this, I'm seeing something else. And I'm reminded of something else. Listen to this. The light of the whole world. The story of the shepherds from Luke 2. That same night, in amongst the other stars, suddenly a bright new star appeared. Of all the stars in the dark, vaulted heavens, this one shone clear. It blazed in the night and made the other stars look pale beside it. God put it there when His son, baby son, was born. To be like a spotlight, shining upon Him, lighting up the darkness, showing people the way to Him. You see, God was like a new daddy. He couldn't keep the good news to Himself. He'd been waiting all these long years for this moment. And now, he wanted to tell everyone. So he pulled out all the stops. He sent an angel to tell Mary the good news. He put a special star in the sky to show where his boy was. And now he was going to send a choir of angels to sing his happy, his happy song to the world. He's here! He's come! Come and see my little boy! Now, where would you send your splendid choir? 
to a big concert hall, perhaps. Or a palace, perhaps. God sent His to a little hillside outside a little town in the middle of the night. He sent all those angels to sing for a raggedy old bunch of shepherds watching their sheep outside Bethlehem. In those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds and say they were smelly and call them other rude names, which I can't possibly mention here. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies. Just scruffy old riffraff. But God must have thought shepherds were very important indeed. Because they were the ones He chose to tell the good news to first. That night, some shepherds were out in the open fields warming themselves by the campfire when suddenly the sheep darted. They were frightened by something. The olive tree rustled. What was that? A wing beat? They turned around. Standing in front of them was a huge warrior of light blazing in the darkness. Don't be afraid of me, the bright shining man said. I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to bring you happy news for everyone everywhere. Today in Davidstown, in Bethlehem, God's Son has been born. You go and see Him. He's sleeping in a manger. Behind the angel, they saw a strange, glowing cloud. Except it wasn't a cloud. It was angels. Troops and troops of angels armed with light. And they were singing a beautiful song. Glory to God. To God be fame and honor and all hoorays. Then as quickly as they appeared, the angels left. The shepherds stamped out their fire. They left their sheep, raced down the grassy hill, through the gates of Bethlehem, down the narrow cobble streets, through the courtyard, down some steep, steep, steep steps, past an inn, around a corner, through a hedge, until at last they reached a tumbled-down stable. They caught their breath. Then quietly they tiptoed inside. They knelt on the dirt floor. They had heard about this promised child. And now He was here. Heaven's Son. The Maker of the stars. A baby sleeping in His mother's arms. This baby would be like that bright star shining in the sky that would, in, in that night, a light to shine up the whole world, chasing away darkness. Helping people to see. And the darker the night, or night got, the brighter the star would shine. A light to light up the whole world. Chasing away darkness. Turn with me to Mark. Mark 15. As we, we hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ according to John Mark. Starting at, at verse 33. And see if hearing Luke 2 story you hear something. See something. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness 
over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, putting it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was who stood facing him saw that saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the Mo- the mother of James and the mother the younger and of Joses and, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. It was noon. Jesus was now on the cross. He's been there. Uh, the, the, the trial originally started early that morning. He's been nailed to the cross. It was high noon. The sun standing at its, at its highest point in the sky, shining down on the Son of God on a cross. And it says, Scripture says, at the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole entire land. Complete darkness. Depending where you read and who you talk to, different people say, you know what, maybe it was just in that little local area over Jerusalem, some kind of strange phenomenon happened. Other people say, no, over the whole entire world, there was a blanket of darkness at this time. Whatever you believe, it doesn't really matter. The the issue is, at high noon, when it is supposed to be completely illuminated. It was completely dark. You see, 33 years earlier, there had been brightness and music and celebration as heaven broke in and said, listen, I've got good news of great joy, which is for all people. For unto you, God has sent His Son. And he's in Bethlehem. Go check it out. The middle of the night, God broke in with the greatest light and said, I have got news. I've got news that is going to transform you. It's going to change the way that you view yourself, the way that you view the world. I've got good news of great joy. I am providing Away for you to find life at its deepest place, joy in that life, where it's just abundant and rich, not pretty, not chlorinated and perfectly clean, 
but where it has meaning. And now, there was darkness. Silence. At noon. The question is, why this darkness now? And if you look throughout uh, the Old Testament, there's often different meanings that are connected with uh, darkness. Darkness was often a sign of mourning. It was a sign of, you know what? My heart is heavy. My heart is heavy about what is gone. And the cross is just draped in mourning. A a sackcloth of darkness is over it. The mourning of God's perfect Son needing to die for broken, sinful people. Secondly, it often signifies the curse of God. When darkness came over the land, God was going to do some business. You look back to the time of um, Moses when he was in the promised land. There was just complete darkness on the night of the Passover. Complete darkness took over as they were sacrificing the first uh, Passover lamb. And this day at noon, in the complete darkness, the perfect Passover lamb was being crucified in the darkness. So for three hours, sin was poured out onto Christ's soul. All the sins, all Paul Vroom's sins, all Kevin Pence's sins, all Kelly Jager's sins, all of our sins, our past, our present, and all, all the future of the world, all the sins combined of the world, every sin from Adam on till Jesus comes back have been poured, is being poured out onto Jesus' soul. The light of the world is now becoming darkened with our sins. For three hours, your, your petty sins that you think, oh, that's not a big deal to those grave, heavy sins that seem to, you, you try to hide. Every one of those are being poured out on the perfect Son of God who committed no sin. To the point where it, it, he talks about how uh, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why are, you forsa- as, as, why are you forsaking me as all these sins are coming on Him? He feels the weight of God turning His back on Him. You see, God does not desire in His, His presence any sin. None. He's a holy, just, and righteous God. And as He looked at His Son, He was becoming the sin of humanity. The very stench that breaks His heart. John Calvin, i got a quote up to throw up. As he's, he's expressing this, my God, my God, which comes from Psalm 22, he said that Jesus expressed this horror of great darkness, this God forsakenness, by quoting the only verse of Scripture which actually described it and which he had perfectly fulfilled. See, Calvin recognized, 
And I hope that we're seeing this morning that Jesus willingly and alone walked to the cross by Himself without a support, without a crutch, without people cheering Him on and saying, come on, Jesus, you go to the cross. You can do this. Go, go, go. He went alone. His disciples scattered. They ran. And Jesus said, listen, I'm going to the cross willingly. I've asked the Father to remove it. We saw that in the Garden of Gethsemane. But you know what? Not my will, but Your will be done. Father, if this is the means for bringing salvation, to bring hope to humanity, I will go. And in that, the weight, the sheer horror of aloneness was on Christ. I don't know if we get it. Really, think about it. Do we get the price that was paid? Do, do we get the work of Jesus Christ for you, for me, for us? Do we understand that He was blameless? He was completely blameless. In, in Peter, Peter 2, it says this. Throw that up there for me. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds, you have been healed. He bore all of our sins so that what? We could be healed. Throw up 2 Corinthians. For our sake, He, that's God the Father, made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. By being a part of the body of Christ, by receiving the free gift of salvation given to us through Jesus Christ, we become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther talks about an alien righteousness. Not like little green men kind of righteousness, but a righteousness that's not our own. And on the cross, when Jesus Christ paid the ultimate cost, when He laid Himself on that cross willingly, there was no fighting, when God put on Him all the sins of humanity, He paid the price that we could not. The righteousness of Christ. The perfection of Christ. Became our righteousness. He paid the the price that we could not pay. So for three hours, Jesus is on the cross in complete darkness. And when we get to verse 37, Mark just very quickly says this. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed His last. The other Gospels talk about how um, they're more explicit in the words that happened. The stations of the cross and the different words that Jesus has said. 
It was at this time where Jesus would have said, it is finished. And He would have said, Father, into Your hands, I commit My Spirit. He would have said, it is finished. Meaning, He has finished His mission. Not that He was finished by His enemies, but He has finished His mission. And in the, the, the word there, finished, it, it, it's in the perfect tense where it's, it's basically saying, it has been and it will always be finished. There's nothing that is going to reverse this. I have done the work. It, it, it has been paid for. All the sins that, that you, you, you sinned all the way, you know, back in 69, all those, Paul, are taken care of. All the sins of your grandfathers, your great-grandfathers, your great-great, all the way back to Adam. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, it is finished. It's paid for. It always has been. I have removed those sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed every transgression from us. And, it always will be. It is done. It's finished. And if you read John 1, it talks about in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Theologians say that Christ is the the active agent of creation, of the, the breathing life into humanity, the action of the actor of creation. And the very one that breathed life into us exhaled his last for you. Jesus has gone lower than any human being has ever gone as our sins, yours and mine, are poured over His wincing soul. He has suffered greater isolation from His Father than any living soul has ever undergone. Isolation. The darkness. But here's something beautiful. You know, next week for Monsieur Day is going to be Jesus in the grave. It is being buried. And then November 22, the week of Thanksgiving, which is extremely appropriate, we are talking about the resurrection. But even before that, there's pictures of hope. There's pictures of the effect of Christ's finished, complete work. What's always been and what will always be. It's done! It's done! There's Christ is saying there's victory. And let me show you how. Let me show you how there's victory. How there's hope. How there's joy in this. And it says it right here. It says in verse 38, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And some of you are going, eh, so what? The Holy of Holies. The most holy place in the temple was a place that could only be entered into by one man. And that was the high priest at one time per year. And he would go in with 
something tied around his leg in case there was any kind of impurity, any kind of sin that he had not confessed before going into the Holy of Holies and he was struck dead in front of the altar, he could be dragged out because nobody would dare to go in. But at one point, once a year, the high priest would go in and sprinkle the altar with blood. The place where God resided among His people. And at this time, Christ exhaled His last. He said, it's finished. Father, into Your hands. I commit My Spirit. And at that moment, that thick curtain was torn into from the top to the bottom. So what? So what? This is God's way of saying, listen, there is open access for humanity to God. I have provided a way for you. No longer do you need to have somebody else go before you and take care of your sins and go do all that stuff. You know what? You can come freely before Me. The holy place suddenly becomes personal. And the holy place becomes corporate. And when, when two or three are gathered, where is He? He's here. As, as we gather for worship, because of the work of Jesus Christ, God's presence is here. It's just not this thing we talk about, we ascribe to, yeah, Jesus, 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 we, we do our thing. Oh no, it is just this, when we gather and we sing songs about God, when we, when we give our, our financial offerings, when we hear the good news, when we participate in the Gospel by the, the sharing and communion, He is here because of the work of Jesus Christ. But also on top of that, another beautiful thing, if you look at what happened, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this, the way that he breathed his last, he said, truly, this is the Son of God. Something revelational happened where the eyes of men and women and children open up to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. My bet is this morning, in a group this size, even though some of you are faithful churchgoers, that another layer of your shroud is coming off. And you're going, holy cow, that's who Jesus is? That's what He's done for me? If that is true, if this is true, then this is a new way of living. A new way of thinking and serving and breathing and being in community. And being in community. It's a whole new way of saying, I've got a precious gift 
of salvation that's not meant to be hoarded, but meant to be shared. It means I've got something that's going to change not only me, it's going to change my marriage. It's going to change my children. It could change my workplace. It could change my city, my neighborhood, my county, my state, the world. If this is true. If this is true. But much like Luke chapter 2, God broke into the world. And He broke in and revealed the good news to uncommon people. He broke into dirty, riff-raffy shepherds. The light of the world to shepherds. You'd think it'd be in a palace. You'd think it'd be you know, to the king, you know, if God really wanted to make a mark, he, he would have brought in all the lights and the action and, you know, the glitzy bring up the, the red carpet and the, bring out the limo of camels and, you know, just, hey, this is what this do. You know, you guys got to do something with this. But what does he do? Shepherds. Those men whose testimony would not stand up in court because they were the scum of the earth. They were second-class citizens. And the beautiful thing is here, much like Luke 2, it ends that way. Standing at a distance, Mark tells about another group, culturally, who were second-class citizens. Women had to walk around quietly with their veils over. To be in a company of men, uh, probably not appropriate. You know, even with a woman who came in and washed Jesus' feet, she broke all cultural rules. But Jesus says, listen, even at the end, I want you to understand, I am breaking through and I am leveling the playing field. Because... If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither this nor that. There's neither this nor that. Listen, I've come for you all. And at the foot of the cross are a group of faithful, faithful women. And look at this. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene. And if you know Mary Magdalene, she the woman that had seven demons in her that Jesus had gone. And what does she do along with uh, Mary, the mother of James and, and Salome? These women followed Him. And what did they also do? They ministered to Him. Why would they do that? Because this is the Christ. They recognized earlier He's the One. And it's a picture for all of us. That as our lives are changed and transformed and rocked at our very very foundation, 
when everybody else is gone. There's, there's no mention of Peter. There's no mention of any of the other guys. The only one for sure that we know was there was, was John because Jesus did the handoff. He said, John, your mother. Mother, here's your son. Everybody else was gone. And here we have faithful, faithful women at the foot of the cross who followed closely after Jesus and ministered to Him, supporting His work. His three years of ministry, they followed closely after Him. So my question for you is, in light of the work that Jesus Christ has done, the work of Him taking on the wrath of God, taking on all of our sins, what is your response? What is your response? What should be our response as a church, as a community, as Christians of multiple churches in the area? What should be going on in our midst? Do we follow closely to Jesus and identify with His death? Do we? And saying, you know what? My selfish ways, my wants, my needs... My desires, my agenda, my this, my that. I'm identifying with the cross. And there at the cross, I lay it all. And I will follow closely after Him. And I will do the ministry that I'm called to do. The ministry of Christ is the work of reconciliation of making the things that are wrong, right. Not on our own power, but by participating in the Gospel. The life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension. Family, we can't do church. We can't just show up here and sing our songs. And if that's what you're coming for, you're going to be uncomfortable. We can't just show up and do it day in, day out, week in, week out. We've got to be changed by what took place on the cross. Having a cross-centered life. We're saying, here's my deep pain, Christ. And it's only in You that I can live. Here's my frustrations. Here's my smashed hopes. You know what, Christ? It's only in You that I can find true hope. True joy. Where our, our focus as, as Christ bore our sins and became our sin. That we become a people who enter into the world that is just messed up and say, you know what? Let me show you and tell you about the One who saved me from myself. I am compelled to do nothing less than that. Paul talked about how he knows Christ. He only knows Christ and Him crucified. 
I don't come to you with wisdom. I don't come to you with this. I don't come to you with eloquent words. I don't come to you. But here's what I do. Christ. And Christ crucified. My hope is that as you keep hearing the Gospel, week in and week out, that you are compelled not by guilt, but you're compelled by gratitude. The gratitude for what has been done for us. That's my hope. That's my prayer. If we don't do church, but we do the life of Christ individually and corporately. And in that, we are transformed. And our community is transformed. Let's pray.